Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, and welcome to another special episode of Commons People, coming from a pub in Manchester where the Tories have gathered for their party conference. I'm Arj Singh, and joining me this week is Paul Wall. Hi, Arj. Hey, Paul. And we've got a couple of guests who we can't normally get when we're down in London. So we've got uh, Politics and Investigations Editor at the Manchester Evening News, Jennifer Williams. Hello. Hey, Jen. And we've got Politics Professor at Manchester University, Rob Ford. Hi, Arj. Hi, Rob. Hope everyone's well. And forgive the noise in the background, but yes. this is the live vibe from Manchester. Yeah. We are in a pub, and we're nearly at the end of Tory party conference. Uh, so it's rowdy. So it's, yeah, it's getting rowdy. Yeah. There's a few beers on the table, uh, and hopefully it should be fun. Anyway, so as I said, we're nearly at the end of the conference, which has been somewhat overshadowed by the allegations that Boris Johnson groped the Sunday Times journalist Charlotte Edwards and another woman in the 90s. Let's listen to the Prime Minister attempting to blame the row on Brexit. This is a very difficult time, mm. and people are, people are thinking oh, for, the, for the country in the sense that Brexit is about to be done, and a lot of people don't want Brexit to be done. Quite a few people don't want Brexit to be done. And I think, rightly or wrongly, they, 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 they conceive of me as the person who is helping to deliver Brexit, and it's inevitable that I'm going to come under a certain amount of shot and shell. I don't mind that okay, in the least. Are you take- Paul, how do you think the conference has gone, generally? Well, so far, it seems as though they've achieved their main ambition, which is get that conference slogan out there, which is get Brexit done, which I think actually is a kind of a work of genius in a way. It's the first slogan I've seen in a party conference for years that doesn't sound like a politician talking. Mm. It sounds like the punter talking. And this, there was a very good reason for that, because that all the focus groups have heard that phrase, get Brexit done. So that's quite smart, and you know, you're playing back to the public what, they're, what they've been saying to you, and it sounds like you're listening to them. So overall, that, that's a good start, but don't forget, this is Boris Johnson, so he can easily implode at any minute. And, and we've seen, thanks to all the shenanigans about his private life, how some of the message has been drowned out not quite as much as we're being drowned out by the noise here, but, um, <laughs> but it's been drowned out by the noises off of, of his private life, um, which isn't really his private life. It's whether or not he invaded someone else's personal space. And um, yeah. we can come on to that. But I think overall, a lot of the Tories you talk to are quite pleased that at least they're finally doing something. Under Theresa May, it was just blancmange. Whereas under Boris Johnson, at least they seem to be active. They seem to be almost vigorous. Uh, and it's not about words anymore, it's about doing things and being seen to do things. And so, I mean, we've got a long way to go in terms of what's actually done in the Brexit deal. But I think it's that sense that they're not passive anymore, they're actually doing things. That is what's energised quite a few people here. Yeah, Rob, do you think voters will notice the groping row or will they just notice get Brexit done uh, it's and interesting. NHS and crime? And oh, well, it's interesting money. you should ask me that because uh, I'm teaching uh, elections and voters this term to third year students. So they, I, I use them as a kind of informal focus group and every week I ask them if they notice any political stories over the course of the week like a good focus group manager would do. 
And the first thing they spontaneously said without pause was Boris Johnson groping women. Uh, they hadn't noticed, for example, the Supreme Court story. They had only the vaguest idea what had happened at Labour conference or what Labour's Brexit policy would be, so very much in line with the general public in that regard. Um, but they had very much noticed these stories concerning Boris and women. That had cut through straight away. So uh, I think there is a risk here in that this is the kind of story that has the kind of characteristics that it can engage voters who aren't otherwise necessarily following things day to day and can easily overwhelm the sort of bread and butter policy stuff, which is very important to them, but which is ultimately less exciting than, you know, a, a, a story that has a certain, you know, sexual edge to it. Um, so I think there's a lot of risk there for it. Do you think that's a um, particular risk for younger voters? Because I'm just thinking about the yes. like the age range of your yes. third year students. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but these are people that the Tories are going to need to win, aren't they? I mean, they can't keep relying on, on older generations. So if this is the kind of story that's going to make the kind of, for want of a better phrase, Me Too generation feel uncomfortable, and that's not gender specific, that yeah. goes for both yeah. genders, yeah. then that's potentially a problem. It is in the long term, but I think they're incredibly short term right yeah, now. Yeah. They're in the yeah. tunnel. It's yeah. not just a Brussels yeah. tunnel of negotiation, it's a tunnel of a general election, and that's all they're thinking about. And yeah, you talk to a lot of Tory MPs and they'll say, look, this awful phrase, we think Boris's private life is priced in with the voters. Mm. Now I think on the whole, that tends to be true. On the whole, people who are sort of cutting a bit of slack, that might be true. But there are significant caveats to that. One is whether or not it's consensual. That's really important. And secondly, whether or not any public money has been used. And, I, and that's the other issue, which is not about them, Charlotte Edwards' allegation, the woman who said he groped her, but the other allegation, which is about this woman, Jennifer Arcuri. Which we said last week we'd be returning to. Yeah. And here we are. And, and whether or not public money was actually used in terms of Boris's own friendship with her. And I think that's a key caveat to the priced-in line. Because if there's more to come out there of taxpayers' money, how do you justify that to an ordinary voter up north or wherever and saying, actually, I spent your money in order to do this with this woman? That's quite damaging. Um, Jen, what's been the top story from this conference for people in Manchester, do you think? Oh, God. Um, well, probably one that I haven't written up yet, actually, but... Um, we'll keep it secret. We'll no, no, it's not a secret. It's not a secret. It's just a sign of me being very slow. Um, it, it, was around, um, it was around buses, my favourite topic at the moment, but um, there was one line in Grant Chap's speech that talked about um, we're going to go further on buses, blah, 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 but actually there was an announcement yesterday that showed that they are putting money with that and they are going to start talking about subsidising services outside of London and that's a really big deal here. We've got the legislation to uh, reform and regulate the bus network here to make it like London's but what we don't really have is the subsidy um, and if the Tories are talking about actually providing that and certainly on the in in the off officials in Greater Manchester and the, uh, the leaders in Greater Manchester seem to think there's an actual prospect of that that's actually a really big deal. That's going to potentially mean we're going to have a London-style bus network, and that could be completely transformative, especially if we can match it up with the tram in the way that you've got in London, where you can just go from tube to bus yeah, to tube yeah, to bus, yeah, be which really is what Andy Burnham has been banging on about for his entire term. Right. This, in many respects, could be the key to that. Now, I mean, obviously, it comes with the caveat, who knows how much of this stuff will necessarily be delivered. But the very fact they're talking about it is... It's a pretty big deal because even under Labour, they were not that bothered about the bus market. They kind of just left it to its own devices outside of London. Yeah, that's so. a really good point, especially that thing that Sajid Javid talked about, which is this idea that you can have contactless. You know, in London, it's taken for granted. You get your, you get your credit card or your, your debit card out and you pay for a bus, you pay for a tube, 
and it's so easy. Everything is easy. Yeah. Whereas up here, you know, you have to root around in your pocket and do you get the right card and is that card compatible with this car, this tram and bus? Uh, even just like yeah, two know. different bus services and two different bits of the city be run by two different companies. Yeah. So, you know, just to get from really not, it's an absolute mess. And it has been for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that's not a very sexy answer. No, no, it is. I mean, we could talk going, about the Oxford I'm Road bus wars. I'm sure. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar with those. Oh, no, 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 the yeah. other thing I wanted to ask you both, actually, is, is this massive protest every time the Tories come here. Yes. Um, I've had stuff chanted at me simply for walking around in a suit because they think I'm a Tory. Yeah. Owen Jones uh, had that too a few years ago. Yeah, so yeah. I got yeah. told to go back to Eton, but in slightly ruder language yeah. a couple of years ago as well. Yeah. But why do they keep coming here? And when will Labour come back? Oh, can I tell you why Labour don't come back? Yeah, go yes. on, this is why? The, this is the rumour, right? It's fascinating. I've heard this from so many different people uh, that I'm just gonna, I've just decided that it must be true. It's to do with the cost. It's to do with how much it costs to hold it at the convention centre. And from what I can gather, Manchester won't do mates rates for Labour, which is hilarious. Oh, right, that is quite funny. <laughs> oh, that's, <really> funny. <laughs> um, that's the council. Yeah, right. oh, they own it, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas in uh, Liverpool, I mean, somebody was joking to me about it at a conference, like, Joe would put it on for free and probably pay them to come with us. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, apparently, that is the reason why That's they don't really come, interesting. Because it's Brighton and Liverpool for Labour now. It seems to be the, the routine. Yes. I can't remember the last time we were in Manchester. Although, when was it? Um, last for Labour. Oh, 2014, Yes, around then, yeah. But um, interestingly, at a fringe I was at last night, Jake Berry ended his speech by saying, um, uh, let's take it back to Blackpool. Ah, right. So, ah. who knows? Hey, that's interesting. It is interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So we could all be going to the seaside. And do you think there's a reason why the Tories keep coming to Manchester? I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I imagine it's possibly because the facilities here are very good, the restaurants here are very good, the bars here are very good. So, yeah, so when part, and a big part of the exercise for the Conservatives, much more than, say, Labour or the Liberal Democrats, is essentially it's a big morale-boosting cheerleading exercise. Policy isn't made here like it is at the other two parties' conferences. So you want somewhere that actually does boost morale, and the place that's got lots of nice facilities and nice places to go out probably does that job better, even if you get shouted at occasionally uh, by the, the unhappy locals. I think in recent years, there's a second reason as well. It's allowed them to come and point at things and say, we did that. Yeah. So it has allowed George Osborne and latterly, I mean, this administration would be doing an awful lot of that. Look at all the cranes, we did that. Yeah. Um, and, and also, although Manchester is never going to vote Labour, it's the same as the strategy David Cameron had. Areas around Manchester could, Absolutely. you know, your Boltons and your Berries. Yeah, so, yeah. totally. Yeah. And they go off on the little hospital visits or the factory visits exactly. in the satellite areas of Manchester. And they say, yeah. oh, look, there we are. And they yes. get on Granada reports. They get on commercial and, radio. And, you know, get on yeah, BBC yeah. Northwest. And, you know, they're seen up in front and centre doing something in those marginal seats. Yeah, and as we saw in 2017, these marginal seats in Lancashire, Greater Manchester, West Yorkshire, that's where a lot of the battle oh, yeah. is being fought. There's a lot of important marginals up here. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Naked self-interest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the other big story breaking overnight from the conference and beyond has, of course, been the Brexit negotiations. Johnson's getting ready to submit his formal plans to replace the Irish backstop later this week. And we should know if there's any prospect of a deal within days. Ireland has dismissed the leak proposals as a non-starter, but Tory Brexit hardman Steve Baker isn't concerned. <laughs> Let's have a listen away from the border they need to we are leaving the european union 
that's going to mean some changes. People don't have the choice of us staying in the customs union and the single market, and so there will need to be some changes. They need to be minimised, they need to be away from the border, they need to, it needs to be an, a, a border as invisible today uh, in the future as it is today. So that's what I would expect the government to do. Uh, this is, a, as Robert Buckland was explaining, this is a tactical leak from the other side, and of course it's been disrupted as it, disruptive as it was intended to be. So. I'm not alarmed today. I'm quite comfortable that the government's been provided with all the right ideas to deliver an invisible mm. uh, border, seamless border, on the island of Ireland. Paul, are we going to get a deal? You know what? I thought for quite a while now that maybe we're, um, we're not going to get a deal simply because he doesn't really want one. And his only focus is a general election. And we talked about this before in this podcast, you know, does he want one? It's obviously in his interest to get a deal and get one quickly, because that's the simplest route to a general election victory, and also just to, it's good for the country. But I don't know, you, there are people around him in number 10, Dominic Cummings among them, who just actually just want that deadline of leaving by October 31st just passed, and then if it's not passed, go to a general election. And you just keep thinking that that, I don't know, I'm torn on this issue. One day you hear Boris say, oh, I don't know, I really, really do believe I want a deal, I really believe it. And another day you'll hear other noises which suggest it's not real. What's new, though, as you say overnight, is the idea that we've got this sort of putative plan about something that's really going to happen on Northern Ireland. And it's really significant that people like Steve Baker, Marc Francois, all the hardliners are slowly coming around. And Boris has done a brilliant job at wooing those people, you've got to say, a really, really good job. I mean, I'm writing a piece as we speak, it might go live in a few minutes, about exactly why he's wooed them and how he's wooed these Spartans, the hardliners, by basically talking their language. So he talks their language a lot now. Um, the no surrender language, it's no, no coincidence that the Surrender Act is straight out of the Spartan playbook. It, um, and they like it. The big question for them is, is he going to really stiff them? Is he going to bring back Theresa May's deal and just try and repackage it with some tougher language about some notes surrendering? I kind of think that's really what he's up to. Um, but he's, as I say, so fixed on a general election. In a way, I don't think he really cares whether or not that deal gets through. The Economist is the smart guide to the forces impacting your world. And if you've never stopped asking questions, get your free copy now by texting HUFF to 78070. The Economist is about a lot more than economics and finance, covering science, the arts and environment alongside world politics and business. It helps you cut through the noise, focusing on the essential information that tells the real story from a trusted source of intelligence for over 170 years. And if you're also the type that never stops asking questions, you can now get your free print copy with Commons People. Just text HUFF to 78070 and enjoy your own smart guide to the forces changing your world. Let's say he brings something like a May deal back, uh, gets it through and then we have an election. Is the Brexit party dead? Rob? Or no, not at all. Uh, I mean, I think it's a really difficult question to answer whether it's better for the Conservatives vis-a-vis -vis the Brexit Party to be going with a deal or without. Um, because if you go without, you can claim, you can do people versus parliament and say, well, we're going to give you your full fat, all bells and whistles Brexit. It's just these nasty Remainer MPs who are stopping it. 
if you go with a deal, you can say, we got Brexit done. But on the other hand, you're giving Nigel Farage a great big piñata to, to attack. And basically, whatever is in that deal, however close it is to what Nigel Farage or Marc Francois claim they want, that it will be attacked as betrayal. And the problem that the Conservatives have is that a big chunk of the Brexit party flirting votes uh, really distrust them a, a lot and trust Farage a lot. So if they're told by Farage that it's betrayal, they're not going to go and read the thing. No. And they'll, 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 they'll take Farage's word for it. So it's not necessarily better for the Conservatives from the perspective of killing off the Brexit party to have a deal. It might be because the deal euphoria, so to speak, amongst Leave voters might outweigh yeah. that betrayal effect and Farage might yeah. get drowned out, like kind of what happened in 2017 to UKIP. But it's not a given. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you should mention trust. So last night when the time splash broke uh, and it was talking about him going to the EU and saying once, once this deal, well, if we get a deal, that's it. Like, there's no more negotiating, there's no extending, that's it, job done. And I texted Labour MP just to kind of say, what the hell is all this about? And they replied saying, well, this is now going to come down to trust. Do MPs trust Johnson? Do the, do the other EU leaders trust Johnson? Does the country trust him? He's asking for a phenomenal amount of trust from everyone. And you have to ask what he's ever done to generate that kind of faith. Yeah. And that's, I mean, so much of this is going to come down to trust, isn't it? And in faith. It's and a faith-based faith politics. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're talking yeah. about for a lot of Tories and maybe even Leave voters. And for securing the deal, also a little bit of fear. So with, with your Stephen Kinnocks and so forth, who could also be pivotal voters and all this, it's not just the Spartans. I'm not sure they'll get every Spartan, and then they're going to need a few Labour MPs potentially too. And for those, for them, it's going to come down a little bit to fear. It's not just whether they trust Johnson; it's whether they fear going against it. Whether if they become the votes that stop it happening, then they are right. Yeah. In the, but they have to genuinely believe they would be the votes. That, you know, Stephen Bush coined that line a long time ago. There's 30 or 40 Labour MPs who would yeah. vote for a deal, but none of them want to just vote for a failed deal. They get yeah, nothing yeah. from that. Yeah. So they have to genuinely believe they're the pivotal votes. And that's why I think you mentioning Farage is really important. His, his pulling power is still significant. And what's interesting is that he knows it's really significant in the north, in South Wales, in the northeast, in the Midlands. He knows that's where he really has impact and that actually it's the Labour votes that he can really suck away. And I, I found that fascinating because he's already coined this phrase and we'll hear it again if there is a deal that gets through Parliament, that the real Surrender Act is not the Ben Act, it's, it's actually yeah, this it's deal, Boris deal. Johnson's yeah. Brexit deal is the real Surrender Act. And you'll hear that again and again. And I find that fascinating that having pushed this Surrender line so much, Boris, he could be bitten on the arse, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I find that really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree, I completely agree. And I think, I mean, I also think that almost regardless of what happens on October the 31st, I think in some of those seats that Boris thinks that he needs to get in order to find a majority, I think actually that leave-leaning Labour vote will go to Nigel Farage regardless, rather than the Conservatives. Yeah. And we've talked about this before. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just too, yeah. the, the cultural distrust of yeah. the Conservatives in some of these seats is very ingrained. And if they've got a Brexit party that's offering basically the same thing, mm -hmm. but doesn't come with the baggage of the Conservatives, yeah. then why wouldn't they go that way, is the question you've got to ask yeah, yeah. yourselves. If Brexit happens, uh, and let's say the, these voters are satisfied with whatever Brexit occurs, let's say there's a no-deal Brexit, will they go back to Labour, or where, where will they well, go, these ex-Labour Brexit party votes? If I may disagree with our previous Prime Minister, Brexit isn't just Brexit, and never was. So the thing is that the Brexit party will then become a party that we're familiar with elsewhere in Europe, it will become a populist radical right party and Brexit will become kind of a symbol of the kind of politics that they're interested in. So I don't think that these voters will just sort of 
down tools and go home. I mean, many may. I don't want to rule that possibility out. UKIP did crash very quickly. But I think that there has always been uh, a 20% electorate for this kind of politics. Nationalist, anti-institution, populist, anti-immigration, anti-social change. And I don't think that electorate will change its views overnight because Brexit happens. The agenda will just move on to the other issues where they have long-standing and deep-seated concerns and where they're often quite at odds with the other four-fifths of the uh, how Sorry, can I just, what do you think will happen with turnout? Do you think that the frenzy of the debate around this is likely to push turnout up? I think it'll go up a little, but yeah, not a lot. Not loads. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioning those non-Brexit issues that Brexit Party could, could still try and use. The worrying one might be, for example, hey, we voted to cut immigration, but it's not actually coming down. We want a proper anti-immigration party. Um, and let's talk about non-EU immigration. That's going up right now, they might say, even after we've got a deal. And Boris will be pushing that agenda. He'll be saying, look, we're open to the rest of the world. That's what I always said. I'm not anti-immigration. I want the best coming around the world. But what do those 22% say who actually think, oh, hold on a tip, that's not what I voted for in 16 or in 19? Now, I think that's that's a big problem worrying. being stored up, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's really, really I mean, quite yeah. worrying. These are voters that, their defining characteristics psychologically is that they're chronically threatened by things that they consider different or alien or strange. And basically they just go, immobilise against whatever they consider the most prominent, proximate threat. The Brexit is the current most prominent proximate threat, the Remainers and Parliament and all the betrayers and all that. So that's what they're focused on. But when that threat goes away, they won't stop being the kind of people who are chronically threatened by things. They'll just find something else to be threatened by. And, you know, we've seen immigration concern really fall despite immigration numbers not fall. That's unusual. That completely took me by surprise as someone who's worked on immigration. And there will be a kind of very strong open goal potentially for Farage to say, well, we've still got high immigration, we know these kind of voters don't like that, let's start talking about that again and see what happens. And will it work? Well, I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Well, one of the most eye-catching moments of the Tory conference was when Chancellor Sajid Javid announced plans to increase the minimum wage to £10.50 over the next five years. Let's have a listen to a little bit of his speech, not the bit where he speaks Punjabi, which was quite good, uh, but the bit where he announces the minimum wage rise. Make the UK one of the first major economies in the world to end low pay altogether. <laughs> to do that, I am setting a new target for the national living wage raising it to match two-thirds of median earnings. That means, on current forecasts, this ambitious plan will bring the national living wage up to £10.50, giving four million people a well-earned pay rise. Paul, was this announcement all that it seemed? Uh, definitely not, because we had a briefing immediately afterwards from Sajid Javid's aides, and it was really back of the fag packet stuff quite quickly, we realised, because they didn't give us a global figure in terms of billions, how much it would be a hit on business, for example. Uh, yet they came up with this figure that it was gonna, everyone would get a £4,000 a year pay rise by 2024. And yet, when you ask them, actually, how do you, how do you get to that figure? It turns out it's gonna be actually a £1,900 pay rise by then. So they've, they've already, within a, a couple of hours, had to halve the amount that they were offering. Um, but the more important point is this is a target, it's not real. The legislation makes it difficult anyway to, to set it without saying actually that it's up to the Low Pay Commission yeah. to do this. Ministers can't do it as a whim. 
But um, so it's a target. It's so nowhere near Labour's much stronger offer, which is by 2020. We'll give you 10 quid an hour. This is by 2024. It's got caveats for how old you are, even though they've lowered the age. So Labour's offer is much, much stronger. But why have they done it? Because it's about messaging. And I'm pretty sure that, again, in northern seats um, and other places outside London, a minimum wage rate like that means a lot more than it does in London. The oh, costs yeah. are much lower, as we know. It's still tough to, to get by. But in London, you know, your, your housing costs are massive as it is. So you're always struggling, even on the minimum wage and a, a higher minimum wage in London. Outside London, it might have more appeal. And that, again, these key marginals, they'll be ramming home that message because Boris already said it, Boris Johnson already said it this morning. He said, we're going to abolish low pay. He actually said that on the radio. We're the party that will abolish low pay. Now, in technical terms, he's right. If that happens by 2024, if there's two thirds of the median earnings, that's the de strict definition of low pay. But how many people are going to believe it? I don't know. It has a sort of feel of the, I mean, I know Sir Linton is not as closely involved as he used to, but it has a feel of that scrape the barnacles off the boat strategy that he always said he wanted to see his candidates doing in the run-up to an election. Those thorny issues that have been building up in the electorate for years after years, get them resolved ahead of the election so you can, so they don't become distractions to your core message. So offer some nice pie on minimum wages, offer an investment on hospitals, offer investment on buses. So you've neutralised those messages, those issues, and you can focus. You know, you've always got a counter argument to anything that comes on those things so that you can get back to the thing you're going to focus on, which is you know, going to be get Brexit done and so So it may be as much about just forestalling an attempt to change the subject by Labour as anything else. I think it's interesting, isn't it, the way that um, any kind of fiscal responsibility is now no longer part of the kind of expected rules of the game during an election, but it also means that if they're going to throw money around like this and not show how they're going to pay for it, they can't go for Labour either. And, uh, and Labour have got all sorts of insanely expensive promises but the Tories are not really going to be able to say very much about that. I'm not so sure, actually. Do you think they will anyway? Well, because what, what 30 years of American politics has shown us, rather depressingly, is that the Republicans can hurl money at all and sundry and then turn around and say they're the fiscally responsible party. <laughs> yeah, and it yeah, still works, so. works with a lot of their voters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so. I think the Conservatives might be gambling that something similar might work for us. We are different, though, aren't we? I mean, you do get the sense of him imposing a kind of American blueprint onto British politics, and I just wonder whether it's possible to do that to the extent that he hopes that it, yeah, that it is. Well, the, I mean, the, you're sort of... Tory Remainers of uh, Surrey and the home counties probably have other reasons not to be happy with the Conservative parties and this it could be a straw that breaks the camel's back type thing. Not only are they doing this crazy stuff on Brexit but they've given up on fiscal responsibility. What's left? So it could be different in that respect. And there's no way they can afford a lot of these promises that Sajid Javid came out with yesterday. He basically admitted it was more borrowing. You know, this is a mm. big thing that the Tories in 2015 hammered Ed Miliband about, the deficit, borrowing. And yet, they've, they've it's strange, they've like ceded that territory to Labour uh, and like if you really do want full fat coke on anti-austerity and spending why don't you vote Labour oh yeah you know you're not and they're promising a lot more a lot quicker so I'm not sure it's going to work I do get Rob's point though they're trying to neutralize a lot of issues they are trying to make sure that they're not as dangerous as they are but the counter to that actually is the way Boris formulated again this morning which was he said we're and you'll hear this again and again we we want a high pay low tax, high productivity economy. And those are the three things which suggest actually high pay 
isn't just the barnacle, it's central to what their message is going to be. And I think that's why it could be more powerful than we think. Yeah, interesting. Imagine what Philip Hammond's thinking right now, <laughs> watching this yeah, conference. <laughs> Jen, you asked um, Boris about some of this, Johnson, sorry, yeah. about oh, some no, of this I, cash that's being spl splashed well, around. <laughs> um, I did, yeah. The town's fund, it's being targeted at key marginals. Have you seen, was, there, was there something similar going on with the hospital's money? Um, so I've not, I've not, I've actually, I've not looked at the hospital's money. What's quite interesting is um, North Manchester General uh, is obviously a hospital on our patch, but that's supposedly getting some money uh, from this new pot. Now, I mean, there, there was a bit of chatter around when the hospital's money was announced that it wasn't quite as straightforward as it looked. And I think the BBC actually had to change their headline on it because, yeah, yeah because they said they were building 40 new hospitals. They're not actually building 40 new hospitals. They're building six. Although somebody was saying to me that one of the hospitals is on their patch and that they've already got a hospital there. So they don't really understand if they're even building a new hospital there. We don't, it's weird. But North Manchester... Um, isn't on the face of it a hospital that is in an area that the Tories are going to win. You know, it's a die-hard Labour area, um, but it is flanked by very south, which yeah, the Tories would like area, to win. Exactly. Haywood and Middleton. Yeah. A little bit further down the road, very uh, north, Bolton. Yeah. Um, so, could they be doing that with this fund? Yes, absolutely. And I think the thing that you also have to look at as well is, I mean, the co the local costings for rebuilding the hospital on our patch, they've put up 500 million. And the money it would appear they've had off the government is around five. So it's a hundredth of what they actually need. But it is enough to put it on a leaflet. Yeah. But there, there, there is yeah. a bear trap here. And this, this, this has the fingerprints of Cummings and the Leave campaign on it, I think. Because they're promising a big sum of money and then it turns out not to be as big a sum of money. And that will be irresistible for Labour and possibly the Lib Dems too to say, ah, but this money isn't as much as you said it is. And they'll say, yes, it is. No, it isn't. And all that voters will hear from that conversation is we're spending lots of money over on hospitals. And these people are just haggling over the details. Yeah. Of exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't care about the, whether it's 100 or 200 million. It just sounds like lots of, lots money, of money coming for hospitals. So yeah. it's yeah. a risk. Classic Dom, as we say. Yeah. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Vintage Dom. <Yeah. laughs> the bust was, yeah, 350 million was too high. But 200 million or whatever the net figure was, which I should know, was, it's still a load of money we're sending. He said on his blog afterwards that he was really pleased when people disputed the figure because he knew it was wrong, but he also knew that if people were disputing the figure, they were going to be mentioning the figure a lot. So well, it was like free advertising. It's the same thing with the Surrender Act, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, it's just getting repeated again and again and again and again and again. Even if it is by people who don't like it, it's still getting repeated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. My, my, I'm coming to the end of my pint, which means it's time for the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> which this week is fittingly on Manchester and politics. So first question is on something I learnt yesterday. Uh, the TUC was founded here in Manchester, but in which building? Is it the Mechanics Institute? Correct. Yes. One point for Jen. So I found, <laughs> I found this out yesterday because they cancelled a hard Brexit fringe event and Jacob Rees-Mogg went to the rearranged venue and called the Mechanics Institute a bunch of malevolent lefties who cancelled it, cancelled it out of political spite. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. So that, that's how I learned that. Uh, question two: uh, The Peterloo massacre infamously happened just around the corner from where we are now, in what is now St Peter's Square. But who directed a film on the event released last year? You might be correct. Boom. One all to the Manx. Rochdale's 
got a chance to draw it. I'm, I'm only going to get um, <laughs> Dylan going electric at free train hall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not there. But it's a bit obvious. Sex pistols. Anyway, um, last question. So Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels began work on the Communist Manifesto here in Manchester, but where did they used to meet to do their research? Was that a library? It was a library. Oh, it was Chetham's, wasn't it? Was it Chetham's library? Wasn't it Chetham's library? It was Chetham's library. Yeah, well then, Jen, you're the winner of the quiz. No, I'm not because you said library. No, I thought it was a central library. Well, it's 2 one one, I think. I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Well done, everyone. Cheers for coming on. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Uh, make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels so you can catch us every Thursday and get your daily dose of the latest politics news by signing up to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash war hyphen zone or follow the link in the episode notes. Uh, we're just going to leave you with the discovery of Boris Johnson's kryptonite today as an aide is admonished by a colleague for handing the PM a coffee in the wrong type of cup. Thank you. What's this? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com upgrade.